Hey everyone, it's Taylor from the New York Gun Guys here. Today we're going to talk about the Concealed Carry Improvement Act injunction, sensitive places, semi-auto rifle permits, and politicians that actually return my phone calls. But first, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Also, check out our past episodes on Spotify and iTunes. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the New York Gun Guys podcast. My name is Taylor. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, lots to talk about today, lots going on in the gun world. Uh, but first, if you want to come meet me in person, I'm going to be at the Long Island Hop Gun Show September 24th and 25th, 2022 at the Local 25 IBEW Hall, 370 Motor Parkway, Hop New York, 11788. Um, I'm going to be there Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to be giving away some stickers and possibly some patches, depending on how many I have left. Come say hi, take a picture with my RPG if you want, and uh, yeah, have a good time, buy some shit, support the Second Amendment, go to go to a gun show, because if you don't, they will not be there anymore. Guys, it's been a pretty pretty crazy, wild month um, with, with all these gun laws going into effect and everything. Um, I'm trying to keep track of it all, but unfortunately, I'm just one person, so this is basically... Um, kind of what I feel is kind of what I want to talk about today. Most importantly, the Concealed Carry Improvement Act injunction failure. Now, I don't believe it was a failure on the part of the um, plaintiff's lawyers or the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, but basically in a nutshell, from what I understand, the plaintiff, Mr. Antonuk, when questioned if he's going to break break the law and carry the gun where he knows he's not supposed to, he said, no, why would I break laws? And the judge was like, well, since you're not going to break the laws, you're not going to suffer any damages, so you have no standing, and therefore this case is dismissed, even though the case uh, represents a lot of unconstitutional things that the state is doing. Um, I I listen to uh, the Armed Scholar pretty regularly. I try to keep up with him. He's pretty breaking with stuff and kind of boils it down and condenses it. But I mean, he, he's a really great resource. Also, uh, Washington State gun lawyer, I think his name is. He's another really great guy. But basically, this this injunction, it it was really it was really fucked up what happened. The judge was just supposed to rule on the injunction or not. But then he wound up dismissing the whole case. And then he said, like I said, he said, well, these these provisions are unconstitutional, but because the plaintiff has no standing, it's moot. And I'm like, what the fuck is this, right? So um, if you look into the case, actually, there's the defense, uh, Mr. Bruin and the state called um, a lot of these, quote, gun safety groups to write amicus briefs filed in the case. One was from Everytown for Gun Safety. Another one was from the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence. And another one was from this... Dr. Jacqueline Schildkraut, PhD, um, but basically what they what they're trying to do is provide quote like expert testimony to the side of the defendant, Mr. Bruin, in the state to to get this case thrown out. So in the one from the uh, Amicus brief for Every Town for Gun Safety in support of defendant's opposition to plaintiff's motion for a preliminary injunction. I'm not, it's like 20 pages long, I'm not going to read it, but the arguments they make, they make three arguments. The plaintiffs have not met their burden to establish that the Second Amendment's plain text covers their content, uh, conduct. The proper focus for analysis of historical regulation is 1868, not 1791. The historical inquiry continues beyond 1868. So basically what every time was saying, I kind of read most of it, but basically every what every time was saying is that 
because now due to Bruin, you have to look at historical text and tradition, you have to look at it when the 14th Amendment was applied, not when the Second Amendment was applied, meaning the 14th Amendment applies the protection to the states, you know, the Bill of Rights basically to the states. So that was 1868. So you have to look at it at 1868, not 1791. I read through it and I, they were just kind of ambiguously writing shit. Like there was never, there wasn't any like concrete facts or proof to what they're saying. Um, and basically their, their first argument is that the plaintiff have not met their burden to establish that the Second Amendment plain text covers their conduct. I mean, Everyone knows what the Second Amendment says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And if that is in the Bill of Rights in the Second Amendment and the 14th Amendment applies it to the states, therefore the states cannot infringe your right to keep and bear arms. But this is exactly what the state is doing. So... They have these groups that, that chime in, and then the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, their, um, their arguments are that the plaintiffs have not met the burden to establish that the Second Amendment uh, covers their text and conducts. Oh, did I just read the same one? Which one is this? Every Town for Gun Safety. Did I read the same one? Every Town for Gun Safety. All right, let's go to the Giffords one. Sorry about that. I clicked the wrong link here. I'm trying to keep everything organized and on the up and up here. Okay, well, apparently they're arguing the same shit, so my bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're basically arguing just the same shit, but they they pull in these gun safety groups, and this is one thing Hochul always says when she gets up on her on her podium and espouses, you know, how much she loves infringing our rights, is that, oh, we work closely with these gun group, with these gun safety advocacy groups in order to protect our citizens. Well, how about you work with organizations that want to protect our rights, like Gun Owners of America, the NRA, for whatever they're worth, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. No, they only want to choose the side that fits their agenda. Um, so this person, Dr. Shilkraut, uh, her arguments are that the um, she, she mostly deals with the social media aspect of this new law, how you have to disclose your social media accounts, which to me doesn't make sense because if nowadays we're looking at people on their social media, how much does it take for an investigator just to type your name into social media and see what comes up? You shouldn't have to disclose your, your doings to the government in order to, for them to grant you a right. So she says that, um, the concealed carry improvement act, social media disclosure requirement permits a review for pre-incident leakage, a critical risk factor foreshadowing the applicant's dangerousness. Number one, peer-reviewed studies have shown that acts of violence are preceded by leakage, including on social media. Number two, most mass shootings have been preceded by leakage. Number three, modern-day leakage typically occurs through social media. And then the, the, the B part of this, it says, researching regarding mass shootings leakage is highly relevant to analysis of concealed carry permits. So basically, she's saying that anybody who wants to get a carry permit is presumed dangerous on social media until we prove otherwise. That's the kind of the opinion that I got. She says that most of the time, these mass shooters put out their manifesto on some sort of social media, or they have a history of saying inflammatory things online. Well, I mean, what about gang members and gang culture that commit way more mass shootings than any lone wolf kind of style, you know, mass shooter, let's just say, like somebody who goes to shoot up a school, right? I feel that that is such a statistically smaller event than the majority of gun violence committed in this country with handguns by criminals, let's just say, that, you know, 
they're really focusing on this to try and isolate people, to try and control them, to try and view what they're saying, to try and get a handle on things. I, I don't agree with it. I think that if an investigator wants to, on their own, type the name into Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, whatever, and just see if something pops up, well, then they're doing their investigative duties and you can't hold anybody, you can't hold anyone against that. Like, that's what they do. Um, so with this law now, basically everywhere you go is a sensitive place. Um, the injunction did not hold. The law went into effect September 1st. And basically, if you have a concealed carry permit now, it is basically a piece of paper because it does you can't it is a felony to carry anywhere that you are not allowed to now in sensitive places. So um it just blows my mind, man, how these people can sleep at night um passing this legislation. And now, you know, you need training courses, which um I've seen some places advertise $800 for a 16-hour training course with a two-hour live fire course. I've seen some places charge $400 for the allegedly the same course. The state put out um, a rubric, you know, kind of like um, a guide of what they need to cover and how much time needs to be spent on what subjects, etc. And now these companies or these individuals have to come up with a curriculum, submit it to the state for approval. And then once they do that, then they could start administering these classes. Now, I do get that people should be compensated for their time and they should be paid for the work that they put in. But <laughs> there was a lot of flame on this one place charging $800 when literally they already have the space, they already have the range, they already have the classrooms. So you could probably guess who it is. Um, but I, we, we had on our show previously, Lisa Ludwig from She Trains You and the Long Island Women's Firearm Club. I'm dying to have her back on to talk about it. She said once she gets, um, her course set up and once she gets some more information and once it's all like ready to go and certified, she's going to come on and talk to us and answer questions about that, which I really appreciate her doing. Um, another thing I don't agree with this, the CCW training is that Westchester and down every three years, you have to do it because we renew permits down here in downstate as opposed to upstate, which are recertifications and they're given for life. I think that you cannot pass a law and make everyone abide by it in the state, but then select who gets training and who doesn't. If you're, if you've had a concealed carry permit for 20 years upstate, you don't have to take this course every three years. Meanwhile, People downstate, Long Island, Westchester, and the city, every three years, have to spend four to eight hundred dollars and and three days of their time or two days of their time to do this. It is nothing short of just, in my opinion, discrimination based on where you live. And because what zip code you reside in does not affect your Second Amendment rights, I disagree with that. Um, I feel that if it was to if it were to apply to everyone in the state equally, then then that I think that is what should happen. If they pass this law, it has to apply to everyone in the state equally, you know. But no, they further. I'm down on Long Island. Everybody could probably tell by my accent, but um, we get fucked a lot. We just do. Our taxes are through the roof. We're just constantly ramrodded by New York City's laws, and I get it. We choose to live here, and this is where we do. I love it here. I just you know, I don't know whether it's Stockholm syndrome or whatever, but. You know, these people that live here, the millions of people that live here that are now going to have to get this permit and get this training are going to have to spend their time and hard-earned money to do so every three years. Meanwhile, people upstate who arguably might have less of a need for self-defense because they live in a less populated area don't have to. 
And I'm not knocking anybody who lives upstate. It's gorgeous up there. Don't get me wrong. I love all you up there. But at the same time, it, it should be applied equally. And that's that's my problem with that. Um, so, you know, this whole sensitive locations bullshit is, is just another way for them to say, well, before we didn't give out any permits to anyone. And those few people that did get permits can carry wherever they want. But now that we have to give everyone permits, you can't carry anywhere. Um, you can't carry in a house of worship. You can't carry in a church. I recently shared on Facebook a letter from the Jewish gun owners of New York, basically how they're saying, in our in our place of worship, we we exercise our First Amendment, and you're telling us we can't exercise our Second. I think they said they're going to bring like a lawsuit against that, which I really, really support. Um, you can't carry in a place of worship. Even if they say it's okay, you can't carry in a place of worship. That's deemed a sensitive location. Um, and this is great. This is another one. Can the owner of a sensitive location carry in their own location? No, they cannot. There is no exemption written into law. If I have permission, can I carry in a sensitive location? No, only active or retired law enforcement or on-duty armed security guards who are employed by the location can possess firearms in these locations. So if you live in a sensitive location or if you have a business in a sensitive location, you still can't carry. And there was a letter that I shared on Facebook sent out by the city of New York Basically saying, if you have a permit, a premise permit or a business carry permit in a sensitive location, you have to turn your firearm in for safekeeping, and they'll figure out a way for you to exercise your Second Amendment. It's a, that's what it said on the bottom of the thing. And I'm just like, how is this helping anybody? If you have the permit, if you're one of these people that goes through all this fucking, all this stuff to, to do this, how how are you the problem? Meanwhile... Criminals who carry guns illegally aren't going to care about these laws, and they're going to do it anyway. And do you think they're going to get charged with felonies? You get you get collared with a gun, you get released. You don't you don't get held on bail. It's not tough on crime. It's only affecting the people that are going to jump through the hoops to do this. When Bruin was when Bruin was decided by the Supreme Court, I, I genuinely felt actual joy. When that happened, I remember I was in the Harbor Freight parking lot picking up some shit when, when the decision broke, and I was sitting in my car. I was, I was happy. I was like, finally, New York's getting a fair shake. Finally, our rights are going to be respected. Finally, the state can't, can't do this. Then what did they do? They doubled down, and they basically gave all legal law-abiding gun owners in New York the middle finger. There's another thing here. How do I secure a gun in my car? <laughs> Fully unloaded, separate from the ammunition, in a lockable, fire, tamper, and impact-resistant container. We have many suggestions that would work. According to the New York State Police FAQ, quote, glove compartments and glove boxes are not appropriate safe storage depositories. A plastic or aluminum lockable hard-sided gun case or safe will suffice for this purpose. So basically, I got to carry on a, a gun safe in my car if I want to have a firearm in my car to secure it before I run into 7-Eleven and grab a cup of coffee quick, because otherwise I'm a felon. Right. Right. There is one thing, though, that they did, um, which I think is a benefit with this whole concealed carry uh, thing. Basically, um, one person here asked a question, I thought it was illegal for me to touch a handgun without a license. How can I do this in a course now? They said the state law created an exemption for those participating in a training course under the supervision of duly authorized instructor. So basically, I, people have asked me, like, how the hell am I supposed to get a permit, get a CCW, and take this course if I'm not allowed to touch a gun? Well, I guess the state addressed this and said, 
you could take the course, do your live fire. Obviously, they're probably going to charge you to rent the gun, yeah, ammunition, whatever. And then you apply for your permit, do this. But let's just say you take the course, and then it takes you almost two years to get the permit. How long is that course good for? Do you have to take the course every three years? Or do you have to take it before your permit expires? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. Um, and again, to go over what is a sensitive area for people who don't know. Sensitive area is defined as any location owned or under control of federal, state, or local government for the purposes of government administration, including courts, any location providing health, behavioral health, or chemical dependence care services, places of worship or religious observation, libraries, libraries, public pra- playgrounds, public parks, and zoos, New York State Office of Children and Family Service, licensed or funded facilities, child care facilities, nursery schools, preschools, summer camps, New York State Office for People with Developmental Disabilities, licensed or funded facilities, New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports Licensed for Funded Facilities, New York State Office of Mental Health, New York Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance, Licensed for Funded Facilities, Homeless Shelters, Family Shelters, Domestic Violence Shelters. You know, that's the one thing that gets me. If you're a woman who, let's just say, is a single mother and has a gun to protect herself from an abusive ex-husband, you can't go to school or a preschool or a nursery school to pick up your kid if you if you work. And then if you go to a domestic violence shelter, you can't bring your gun there because, you know, nobody ever finds out your location and goes there and does anything to you if you're a, a woman who's being abused by a partner or an ex-partner or husband or whatever. You know, that, that makes perfect sense. <sighs> Colleges, universities, private schools, public schools and other educational institutions, public transportation and transit facilities, bars and restaurants serving alcohol and on-premise, on-premise cannabis consumption locations, theater stadiums, racetracks, museums, amusement parks, performance venues, concert halls, exhibit halls, conference centers, banquet halls, gaming facilities, video, you know, it, the list just goes on and on. Um, one thing that I, I really don't like is that they have a... <laughs> they have a thing that says public sidewalks and other areas that are restricted from general public access for a limited time or a special event. And then this one gatherings of people to collectively express their constitutional rights to assemble or protest. So you want to get together with your people and stand on the sidewalk and hold signs and engage in first amendment protected activity. And let's just say the signs might say, Governor Hochul sucks, right? Honk if you think Governor Hochul sucks. You stand on a corner with five to ten people on a public sidewalk and try to get people to engage you or talk to you or just spread a message. That is First Amendment protected activity. If you carry a gun while you do that, you are a felon. (laughs) And also, what constitutes a gathering of people to collectively express their constitutional rights to assemble or protest? Does a meeting of Republicans in a banquet hall for a convention of sorts, meet the gatherings of people to collectively express their constitutional rights to assemble a protest clause in this. It's just ridiculous. You can't tell people what they can and can't do when they're exercising the First Amendment as long as they're not hurting anybody. And honestly, people, let's just say marginalized groups of people, quote marginal, we always, people always talk about marginalized groups of people. Let's just say, for example, um, you know, gay people, immigrants, well, all these people, right? Let's just say they, they, they call themselves, quote, marginalized and oppressed and all this stuff. What if they want to have a parade 
and they want to carry a firearm for protection because they are afraid of, let's just say, the, quote, racists in this country who might hurt them or the, the bigots or the, the, the MAGA Trump supporters that Biden is so worried about. Don't you think those people should also have a right to carry a firearm to protect themselves, Governor Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams? You know, I think that it's crazy that you could tell people what rights they can and cannot have. And it, it, it just blows my mind in that way. Before this law was enacted, there was no problem. Granted, you, can't, you, can, you couldn't get a concealed carry permit to save your ass down here, but there was no problem. Once you got that permit, you could carry anywhere you wanted unless it was specifically prohibited. Obviously, schools, courthouses, whatever, have, has always been a, a quote, constitutional, safe, uh, sensitive area. And even uh, the Supreme Court in Bruin said, you know, historically and traditionally, yeah, courthouses, schools, and all those other places, not all those other places, but most reasonable places that people would think, are sensitive locations. Public parks? Since when can't you take your gun into a park? Well, now after this law, you can. If you're a single mother and you want to take your kids to a park and you want a firearm to protect yourself or your kids, now you can't. Otherwise, you're a felon. And this is what this is what I, I disagree with most in this. Um, sensitive locations are just another way for them to pass laws to restrict your rights. And Times Square, they make a big deal out of Times Square, the crossroads of you know they they call it the the crossroads of the uh, the crossroads of the world um there's a quote here that says there's no place for personal firearms at the crossroads of the world said new york city department of transportation commissioner yandis rodriguez times square is safe is a safe global attraction for the millions of residents commuters and tourists who visit and pass through it every day we are grateful for the work of mayor eric adams and the city council to ensure this iconic space remains welcoming to all except those who are licensed and legal and have gone through the process to carry a firearm for self-defense. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking right. Someone got shot through Times Square. My, my associate here with the, uh, with the assist in the back, you all might know who that is. He's been a little silent lately, but he's still here rocking it. He's behind the scenes now. He's too ugly for radio. That's what I say. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and somebody got shot in the, in the village, too, in the West Village, and it made headlines. Meanwhile, New York City's safer than ever because of these new laws. You know, there's another quote here that says, We have an epidemic of gun violence in this country. Our nation is awash in guns, too many of them in the hands of people who pose a threat to our streets, to our schools, to our supermarkets, and even to our houses of worship, said U.S. Representative Gerald Nadler, chair of the House Judiciary Committee. With an out-of-control Supreme Court that has mangled the meaning of the Second Amendment and overturned New York's century-old law that provided for reasonable, reasonable, it's reasonable, restrictions and gun safety measures for the public. I am pleased that New York has taken actions to require concealed carry license applicants to meet eligibility requirements and complete a state-regulated firearms training course. and has designated certain sensitive locations, like iconic Times Square, where concealed carry licenses are not permitted to bring guns. These actions today will make New York safer and tells anyone that New Yorkers will do everything within its power to ensure the safety of its residents and visitors. Well, then how about you start up in, like, I don't know, South Bronx, East New York? How about you start there and post no gun signs in those neighborhoods and see how fast you get laughed out or how fast they start taking pot shots at your bumper as you drive away? I just can't believe the, the, the disconnect that these people have. You know, they even say um, here that they're, they're pleased to new, that New York has taken actions to require concealed carry license applicants to meet eligibility requirements and complete a state regulated firearms training course. One can argue from a gun owner's standpoint that a course, 
a training course should be required for concealed carry. One could argue that because they say if you want to carry a firearm in public, you should know the laws, you should be trained, you should know that. I think that it is a good idea to seek out training, obviously, and to know the laws and to be well-versed in what you can and can't do and to understand the consequences of carrying a firearm. I don't think it should be mandated by the state because like we're seeing now, when a right is mandated, like when things, when you have a right and then the state makes you do all these things that you have to jump through these hoops, then it's a privilege, not a right. I think that if anyone does want to carry a firearm in public, they should get trained and they should understand the laws. But mandating it in this ass-backwards way is not the way to go. And then you have people that will charge an arm and a leg versus people who won't. And then you wonder if it's the same curriculum and you get the same training, what's the difference? I don't know. Call me crazy for thinking that the government should keep their hands off your rights. But you know, call me crazy. <laughs> um, you know, you can't even take guns on subways in New York City now or buses. So if you're if you're a person who lives in like let's just say a not so good neighborhood and you have to take the subway or the bus to work and let's just say your employer doesn't in your your business doesn't have a, is not in a sensitive location or you work in a place that's not a sensitive location and the owner let's just say says look you want to carry a gun fine but like when you get here put it in your locker like you know while you're working like you're not going to have it on you but you can't even take your your gun on the bus or the subway because you know nothing bad ever happens on subways nobody commits mass shootings on subways oh wait didn't that happen recently with this fucking crazed guy shot up a subway and, and lit off like bombs on the, like in Brooklyn? Like what? How are these people so daft to not understand that, that their laws only apply to the people who are willing to follow them. And meanwhile, there's a bunch of people who say, screw you. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway. I don't know, man. It just makes me so crazy to think about this. And I, like I said, when the Bruin decision came out from the Supreme Court, I was I was happy. I was impassioned. I was fired up. I said, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. And then now it's just like they, we're getting bricks thrown at us. And we're down in like Buffalo Bills well, and we're just like getting bricks thrown at us. And we're like, Jesus, stop. We just want to have our rights. Screw you. Fuck off. Like, <laughs> this is what we want to do. And, you know, I've been trying to, let's just say, curtail my language a little bit. But, like, this is how I feel, you know? Um, the next topic I want to talk about now is the semi-auto rifle permits um, that went into effect. So in the state of New York now, in order to purchase a semi-automatic rifle permit, you uh, semi-automatic rifle, you need a purchase permit that's basically akin to a pistol permit. Um, from what I've been reading online, if you have a pistol permit, some counties are basically saying like that's automatically your rifle permit like purchase permit. But some FFLs and some gun stores are like, no, according to the law, we need to see a specific semi-auto rifle amendment on a permit in order to do this. So basically you, you have to go down to your local pistol licensing office and ask for an amendment. Uh, some counties already started doing it. I, I've been reading online and kind of keeping up on Reddit some counties were already doing this. Um, I think Suffolk County started doing it as well. You have to go down there. If you already have a pistol license, you have to go down there, request an amendment. They, they'll print you up a new one. And then you just have the word semi-automatic rifle on it. Ooh, you're so much safer than everyone else now. Yay. Um, but for people like, let's just say myself, who don't have a pistol permit, you still have to go through the process, and it's going to take a year or two to do. Um Again, it's just more hoops for people to jump through. 
if you have 50 semi-automatic rifles before this law went into effect and now you need a permit to buy another one, are you the pro- are you the, the problem? Are you the person that they're worried about? You now have to submit social media. You have to go for in-person interviews, character references. It's easier to buy a machine gun in a state that allows it than you will be able to get a 1022 in New York. For those who don't know the process of buying a machine gun in a state that allows it through the NFA, you find a machine gun you want, you buy it, you fill out your Form 4, I believe it is, to transfer, you finger, you get fingerprinted, you submit your information to the, to the ATF, six to eight months later, the form comes back, you have your tax-paid stamp, then they transfer the gun to you, and you have your machine gun. Yay, we're happy we have a machine gun. Basically boiled down to it. And there's different forms you can transfer, Form 4, whatever, depending, Form 3, Form 4. But um, it's easier to buy a machine gun in a state that allows it than it would be to get a 1022 in New York. I just find that perplexing. The government, the federal government doesn't have as stringent requirements for somebody to go buy a machine gun than somebody to buy a 1022 in New York. The government, the federal government isn't looking at your social media history before they transfer you an Uzi or a Mac-10. An actual Uzi and an actual Mac-10. The state is so misguided on this. And like I said, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm not advocating for this, but what would have made more sense if they made a system like a FOID card and said, okay, all firearms purchases need this permit. But it's easy to get. You go down, they give it to you the same day or whatever, and they do that. That would make more sense. Not that I advocate for that, but the laws they they, they put in place don't make any sense, and it's done that way on purpose. They leave open ends. They leave gray areas. They leave it to be ambiguous. So that way... The next time something happens, oh, well, you know, before you didn't need a permit to possess the semi-automatic rifles, but now you do because all these guns that are already in circulation are so dangerous and they're weapons of war flooding our streets. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, it won't stop criminals. It really won't. Technically, as, as, as of the recording of this, you could still buy an AR-15 strip lower receiver. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Allegedly, allegedly, they say that you can't build it into a semi-automatic rifle because it would be after the effective date, and therefore you took possession of a semi-automatic rifle after the effective date. But if they're still selling the strip lowers, eh, you know, good, good luck proving when it was built. Whatever, you know, you don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just such, it's so crazy. Now with the ATF redefining frames and receivers and creating an amnesty that there was a leaked document it, it doesn't affect to new york new york too much but i did so i don't i don't, I don't want to like go deep into it you could look it up on your own um the atf there was a leaked document from the atf basically stating that there will be an amnesty period for registering um pistols with arm braces as short-barreled rifles their intent is now to classify anything with an arm brace as an SBR and for you to amnesty register it. Like, the ATF came out and said multiple times that arm braces are not stocks. They're not. And then in the recent um, Senate, you know, federal government hearings on the assault weapons ban, remember we played? <laughs> Somebody thought it turned a, a pistol into a machine gun. You remember that? So the guy, I think it was from Rhode Island or Delaware, said that, yeah, this, this arm brace turns your pistol into a machine gun. And Thomas Massey was like, what are you talking about? 
It was crazy. That was the Circus of Democrats episode. Of this, uh, that was that was a good one. I really enjoyed that one. Speaking of the the funny intros we do if we have enough time and whatever, and have you know sometimes we got to cram in an episode and I got to go to work or I got to go home be with my family whatever. So <laughs> whenever I I try to think of something funny, we try to do a funny intro for you guys. But the ATF is starting up that crap now with the with the pistol braces. They said for years and years and years, they said that it's estimated anywhere from 20 to 40 million firearms with pistol braces, and they want them to be registered as SBRs. But what if in New York, you have an AR pistol? In upstate counties, by the way, you can have a pistol, AR pistol on your license as long as it meets requirements. But let's just say it has an arm brace. But now the federal government is making you, is mandating that you register it as an SBR, but in New York, you can't possess SBRs. So what do you do? Again, it's just the lunacy of we're following the laws, and then one day you're telling us it's illegal and making people felons, just like in New York, with the with the quote others and the and the short shotgun type firearms. One day it's legal, the next day it's a felony. Um, and this actually leads into my next point of conversation here. I've tried for months and months, and over time, reaching out, and I tell people, reach out to your politicians, call them, write them, email them. I have never received correspondence back from anyone. Anyone I've called, anyone I've written, everyone. I've never received correspondence back. And on a local level, I called these, uh, for example, Senator uh, Senator Kevin Thomas's office who sponsored this permit bill, who sponsored the semi-auto rifle permit bill. And I asked questions. There's, they, they had a staff or an intern pick up the phone or whatever. And I, I they took down my questions. I'm like, oh, well... Um, I don't know the answers, but I'm going to have somebody call and find out and, and we're going to get back to you. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I wasn't holding my breath on that one. I called Senator Todd Kaminsky's office. I called Senator Kevin Thomas's office. I called the governor's office. I called, I think, one other person. And then I got a flyer in the mail the other day for my local um, assembly person who is Assemblywoman Judy Griffin. And in her packet or this flyer that she sent out one of the first things she wrote and i'm paraphrasing i don't have it in front of me but she said you know i supported and worked closely passing legislation that rages the age to buy a semi-automatic firearm to 21 and i read that and i'm like no that's not what happened so i'm like you know what time to call another politician time to express my opinions and then get you know get the cold shoulder so i called and a person, you know, a staffer, an intern, I asked if the assemblyman was available. They said no, which is always the case. They're never there. They're never available or whatever. They took down my questions, and he's like, well, I could have our legal counsel call you if you're confused on what this new law is. I said, no, I know what the law is. I'm very well versed in that. But more so importantly, I wanted to know if the assemblywoman read and understood what she voted on and what she supports because what she's sending out in this flyer is not true. It's more than that. First of all, it wasn't to age the raise the age to buy a semi-automatic firearm to 21. It was to require a permit to purchase a semi-automatic rifle. So yeah, you have to be 21 to get this this permit, but that's not what it did. It goes way more into that. There's fees. There's time. There's you know it takes years to get this possibly. So I I asked the staff from like did the did the assemblywoman really read or understand what she did? And if she's putting this out there as you know, most people, like when we watch the debates in the in the Senate and the Assembly, one person, I think from a, a senator from upstate said, you know, if it was just to show your ID, your driver's license as 21 and buy a, a, a rifle, 
The guy said that he wouldn't have a problem with that. It's like buying a six-pack of beer. You have to show your ID, and then you take possession of it. And he's like, this goes way more. This goes way deeper than that. So I think it was like a day or two went by, and I got a phone call. And it was from a Mr. Kevin Brady, who's the legislative counsel for the assemblywoman. And I said, he said, do you have a minute to talk? I said, yeah, hi, how you doing? He's like, so I understood you called and had some questions about the new laws that went into effect. I said, well, not so much questions, but I just wanted to know if the assemblywoman really understood what was going on with these laws before she sent out this information and kind of spreading a little bit of misinformation. And I said to him, I'm like, I'm not one of these guys that's trying to bait people, that's trying to yell at people. That's not how I roll. I'm very civil. I just want to talk and, and get an understanding of where your guy's position is, and, and hopefully you'll understand where my position is. We had a conversation for 40 minutes. And granted, this guy I know probably is not on my side of the aisle politically, but he I felt that he understood what I was saying. He understood my points. And he said he offered some counters to some things, and we we had a very good we had a very good talk. I'm not I'm not about to bash this guy because he did take the time out, and he even said at one point he's like, you know, I I feel kind of honored that I'm the only person who've called you back, but it's also kind of disgusting to see that constituents try to reach out to their representatives and get the cold shoulder. I said, well, honestly, it's probably because I call voicing an opinion about gun control legislation, and I possibly have an R next to my name, not a D. And he's like, well, that's very disheartening to hear. And I said, you know, you're the only person that has called me back in, in months and years of, of trying to reach out to people. And I say that, you know, the problem is that people vote on these laws and they never hear anything from the other side. They don't want to hear anything from the other side. And as long as they have the majority, they're just going to say, screw you and ram it through without understanding the consequences of what's going on. And, you know, I brought up sensitive locations. I said, you know, I'm a father. I have a, I have a young child. And, you know, let's just say I do have a concealed carry permit. If I go to take my son to the doctor and then take him to a park and then have to stop and pick up milk on the way home, I have to unload and reload my, unload, unholster, unload, secure, unsecure, reload, and holster three times each. So that's that's a total of nine times I have to do an action with a firearm in a car with a child in the backseat. I said, obviously somebody who's competent with a firearm, yes, they, they know how to do that, but what if the one time you mess up or there's a distraction or, you know, the gun slips or, or something like you, you realize that doing this, it could potentially put people into situations they want to be in. And then what if somebody sees you with a gun with a kid in the car, some naive voter that you send this mail or two and they say and they call the cops on you because there's a man in the, in the car with a, with a gun with a child in there. And now you have an unnecessary contact with law enforcement. And depending on the law enforcement officer, they might be okay. They might be obviously defensive because there's an issue with a gun there. And I don't blame a law enforcement officer for going to a call and being on the defense when there's a gun. And then they have to ascertain whether it's legal or not. Because unfortunately, in their line of work, they come up with a lot of illegal guns. And I said, this is not the solution. I said, people, if you want to require people to go through more training and a, a stricter background check to get a firearm, fine. But restricting then where they can carry is not the answer. And I even told them, like, the law basically reversed itself. Meaning before, if you had a permit, you could carry mostly anywhere. But now, if you get a permit, it's useless because you can't carry anywhere. And I said, does, and I, I said, I'm like, does, does, you know, my right to protect my family end when I get out of my car or when I leave my property line? No, it doesn't. And he was very understanding of that. And he wasn't combative and he wasn't um, accusatory. 
he was a lawyer. He said he was actually at the debates uh, when they were voting on this in the assembly. And I said, good, I watched it. I might have saw you there. I don't know. But he said he was there. And, you know, I, I felt like for the first time somebody at least heard what I had to say. And that was very important. So, um, again, I'd like to say, Mr. I'd, I'd like to say thank you to Mr. Brady for taking the time to listen to me. But again, I shouldn't have to say thank you because that's their job to listen to their constituents. You know, you don't get extra credit for doing your job. And I feel like this assemblywoman really, I hope he passed, because he was taking notes and he was writing stuff down. And, you know, I hope he passed this information on to the assemblywoman. I'd love to talk to her. I'd love to get some some feedback from her. But I, I doubt that's going to happen. But at least somebody kind of higher up rather than a staffer. You know, at one point I actually had to call the ATF to find out answers for things. Um, when this whole, quote, other law passed, when they banned the possession of, quote, others, People reached out and were saying, well, I have this gun and I have this gun. What do I do? What do I do? And I said, well, first off, you know, don't tell people you have this fucking gun. But, so I actually had to call the ATF and find out, like, hey, with these shotgun-style other firearms, the Mossbergs, the Remingtons, what do you do with them? Can you, If you put on a longer barrel and a shoulder stock, will that change the classification of a firearm from an other or just a firearm to a shotgun? And the ATF had to call me back, and they said, well... You know, the guy was nice. He was all right. The guy said, if you take, let's just say Remington TAC-14 and put an 18-inch barrel on it and a shoulder stock, technically it does not change the classification of the firearm as it was made or intended to be made, but it makes it legal for state compliance. So if you have these little shotguns out there, um, you know, number one, if you didn't do anything with it, well, congrats on being a felon, which... I'm not going to bash you on because I know there's hundreds of thousands, possibly there's so many of them in the state. And they were fine. They were legal. And that's one thing I also brought up to the assembly person, the legislative council. I said it's basically a takings clause by the government because it was legal one day and there was letters issued by the county and said they were fine. And then now they're not. So what do you do? You're out property. You're not compensated for it. You have to destroy it. You have to sell it. You know, you have to turn it in. It's ridiculous. It's It's unintended consequences. And I told him, I think that there are people that want to do good things, but there are unintended consequences because they're uneducated or they're unaware or they just simply ignore the common sense that's out there. And everyone wants to talk about common sense in the gun world and common sense and this, this, and this, but it's only common sense when they want things that they want. It's not common sense when we want things that we want, for example. You know, if we want the government to keep their hands off our guns and to not intrude in our personal lives and not have social credit scores and not have character references, you know, that's, that's common sense on our end, but on their end, that's extreme. I just pictured, I just have the picture of Biden standing at the podium in Philadelphia with the fucking red back glow against Independence Hall and the Marines standing there. And I'm like, how is this not some sort of like Mussolini-esque image? Like, how is this not? I, I don't get it. I don't get how people still support this dude. I really don't. <sighs> Come November, we have to, have to vote out Governor Hochul and all these people. Well, I don't know what other elections are on November. I think it's just the governor, but you have to vote out Governor Hochul. You have to tell everyone you know to vote this, just this evil woman. She knows she's got nothing to lose because she wasn't elected. She was, I mean, technically she was elected, but Cuomo was elected. Nobody gives a crap about the lieutenant go governor. 
So once she got in, she's like, I got nothing to lose. I could just do whatever I want. But come election time, she has something to lose, her job. And I think that it is very important that everyone gets out there and votes her out. I mean, if it's not for us, just think about your kids. Think about the future. I mean, New York is... I, I, I see people leaving New York all the time saying, screw this place, it's done, it's over, we're giving it up, you know? And I'm just like, I don't think that, I think you have to fight. This was once a really great place, man. I, you know, I, I have dreams and fantasies about moving away and having a, you know, big piece of property and shooting guns off the back porch and whatever. But then, you know, the other day I took my motorcycle um, for a ride down Meadowbrook over to like Robert Moses and on Ocean Park. And I'm like, man, this place is really fucking great, isn't it? You see everyone out there on boats with American flags and Trump flags. I haven't seen a boat yet with a Biden flag on it, by the way. <laughs> If anybody, if anybody's familiar with, with the, you know, the South Shore Saks Bay, all the boats get together. I have not seen one Biden flag on any boat. I, I'm just saying, you know, it just really amazes me, man, how such a beautiful place can just turn to such crap because of people who live in one particular area that get to designate what the rest of the laws are for the state. I mean, for the, what, what the laws are for the rest of the state. And like I said. <laughs> Your zip code does not define what rights you're able to exercise or have. If you're an American, you have those rights. You're born with them. It's not something the government gives you. That's why it's the Bill of Rights. It's the it's the rights you have that the government has to keep their hands off of. They found it. They they you know the first one, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and number two, right to keep and bear arms. And that to me is very important. So, with that said, there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um, it's, it's hard to keep track of it all. There's lawsuits now flying all over because this preliminary injunction was denied. There is a new lawsuit, I believe coming through against, um, Mr. Bruin as well. Um, yeah, against Mr. Bruin as well. Now there's, um, there's, there's a, like I said, uh, there's a lawsuit I think I saw from the Jewish gun owners of New York who are going to be suing about the religious, you know, places of worship. I mean, it's crazy. You know, synagogues get targeted all the time in this country. It's not an unheard of thing. Mosques get targeted all the time in this country. You know, churches, there's people bomb churches. That, so to think that if you're in a place of worship, you're safe from the harm of the world. Most oftentimes in this world, it's religious violence. It's sectarian violence. It's ethnic violence. And oftentimes it's divided on religious you know, look at Northern Ireland, for example, the Protestants and the Catholics, and look at all the troubles that happened up there and the, the fucking bombs and the killings and the war. You know, look at what happens in the Middle East where the fucking Christians in Palestine are being persecuted. In Syria, Christians in Syria are getting persecuted. It's it's oftentimes along religious lines, and that's the reality of the world we live in, and we live a fucking ocean away from all those problems over there, but it still happens here, and thankfully, we have the right to protect ourselves from that, from people who would want to do us harm, and even if it's our own government. Call that a hot take, as you will. <laughs> but I think that if enough people... It, it, and also, just an, another last point here. It just blows my mind that people on the left, who are, like I said, who are part of these, quote, marginalized communities, oh, we're so oppressed. Lizzo getting on stage, her fat ass getting on stage and saying, oh, we're so oppressed, and, and this, and then she gets on a private jet and flies somewhere. It's like, if you're... It, true... People who are truly oppressed do not know they are oppressed. Slaves, when they were slaves, if they didn't know that they were oppressed, 
that's when they were oppressed. You know, you look at slavery in the U.S., and on, let's just say, one plantation, there was 300 slaves and 50 white people. Those slaves, unfortunately, did not know they were oppressed. Otherwise, they would have kicked the shit out of those white people and said no. But they, in their mind, they were oppressed, but they didn't know it. True people who were oppressed do not know they're oppressed. That's a hot take, but, you know, whatever. But, guys, um, wrapping this up now, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot going on. As more stuff develops, I'm going to be sharing on Facebook and hopefully getting on the mic again soon. But again, everyone, uh, September 24th, 25th, 2022, 2022, yeah, at the uh, local 25 IBEW Hall, 370 Motor Parkway in Hopog, New York, is the gun show. I'm going to have a table there. Come say hello. I'm going to have some stickers, possibly some patches to give out. Last time I brought my RPG and it was a great time. People were taking pictures with it and doing all sorts of shit. I might have some some little trinkets and stuff for sale. I don't know. If you're into North Korean stuff, <laughs> I might have a few items if you want to buy. But, um, yeah, check it out. Support your local gun show. I believe the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association will have a booth there. So be sure drop by, drop off $10, $5, whatever you want. Help, help, help the fight. Um, if you don't go to gun shows, remember, they go away. Thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in. And most importantly, stay safe.